welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, Ramsey Heights. I really do miss being with you guys this morning, but I'm excited that we've all gathered here online to continue our Thirsty for God message series. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 16. Do you remember when you were younger that old saying that people would say to you, you are what you eat? hated that saying. I bet you did too. You are what you eat. It was always said at the most inopportune moment and I would just kind of think to myself, well, I'm fixing to be a big old piece of chocolate cake then because I'm about to scarf this thing down. Now that saying has been around for a really long time. It was actually developed in France in the early 1800s and then it moved to America about a hundred years ago as the title of a book. And the purpose of this book was getting people to understand that what you eat is going to affect your health. Now before you run away, I know some of you are wondering if this is a message series on dieting or, or if we're going to get into what we should and shouldn't eat. I'm not going there because I, like most of you, started out the new year thinking I'm going to be healthier and I'm going to ex exercise more. And that lasted all of four hours or so and then I forgot about that. Now what I think happens is that this term has a spiritual application as well. If we say that what we consume physically affects our physical condition, could we not also say that what we consume spiritually will affect our spiritual condition? Think about it. We all know that person, or maybe we've been that person that spends our life consuming bitterness and anger and hurt, and what do they become? They become a bitter, angry, hurtful person. But you can say the same thing of people who consume positive things, who, who consume the attributes of God. People who spend their life seeking and consuming mercy of God, do they not become merciful? The point of our scripture and the point of our story this morning is that, is that if we seek God, it will change our spiritual condition. And we see that in the life of David. If you haven't been joining us for our series, we're looking at David as king and he's going through a really rough time in his life where he is being overthrown by his own son, Absalom. David, over the past chapter that we've read and studied, David is on the run, running for his life because his own son wants to kill him. And we see this broken David who, who climbs a mountain barefoot, crying and just crying out to God, God, I need you. God, I need your help. Why, why have you abandoned me, God? And, and we see this broken David. What's worse is that we see that this is consequences of decisions David made in his life. That everything David is going through in this story happens because he took another man's wife and slept with her, and to cover up his sin, he murdered one of his closest friends. David is now dealing with the consequences of his sin, and he doesn't like it. And that's what this whole story is. And we have to stop and ask ourselves, why, why is this story in the Bible? We should always ask ourselves that about scriptures. Why did God put this here? What's the purpose? And what's the point of the story? See, this is not just a story about God's anger on David because he made a mistake. It's not just a story about David's suffering. This is a story about God redeeming and bringing David back to him after the sins that David committed. 
We, we now get to see God bringing David back to that heart that was the David that we all loved. The, the, the shepherd boy who sat in the fields and sang praises to God. The, the teenager who, with nothing but some rocks in the presence of God, chased a giant. The young man who was persecuted by King Saul but still honored God and trusted God in everything. And we see God changing King David back into that person from the adulterous, murderous, power-hungry king that he had become. We're going to continue to see this spiritual change in, in chapter 16. We've got a lot of scripture this morning. I'm not going to try to read all of it, but we'll read a little bit and I'll explain the rest. So chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. And when David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, I've practiced that all week, Mephibosheth met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, and upon them two hundred loaves of bread, and a hundred bunches of raisins, and a hundred of summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. And the king said unto Ziba, What meanest thou by these? And Ziba said, That donkeys be for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. So David is running away and he's running off into the desert. He's just climbed this mountain where he got to the top of it and he cried out to God and he seemed to be a little bit better. And he comes down the mountain and what does he find but friends who are willing to help him in his escape. We see here that this is Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth is really, really important to this story, and it doesn't tell us why here, but if you read the rest of 1 and 2 Samuel, you'll see him pop up a few times. Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, who once was a very close, as a matter of fact, David's best friend. But Jonathan was the son of King Saul. Now, at this time, there was an expectation of a dynasty that if a king died or he lost his throne, that his children would take over the throne and that that would continue throughout the ages. So the expectation when Saul was king would have been that when Saul died, Jonathan would have been the king. And when Jonathan died, Mephibosheth would have been the king. But God rejected Saul and Saul's dynasty and made David the king. Now you would think that Mephibosheth, who should be king, would hate David for being king. But you see something different here. Jonathan, the son of Saul, accepted that God had chosen David to be the king. And so had Mephibosheth. And here is his servant Ziba trying to help David. Imagine how David felt in this moment. He's cried out to God. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's worried. And all of a sudden he finds that one of his friends still hasn't turned his back on him. He runs down to Ziba and he says, Ziba, what is all of this? What have you done? And Ziba says, I brought all this to help you in your escape, to make sure that you were taken care of. And David looks around and goes, where is my friend Mephibosheth? Where is he at? I want to talk to him. And this is when Ziba gives the bad news. He says, David, uh, Mephibosheth didn't come. It's just me. I brought these things to you. See, Mephibosheth has went back to Jerusalem he thinks that if you and Absalom kill each other, that, that the Israelites, that the nation will rally around the old dynasty and that Mephibosheth will become king. That this civil war will result in the restoration of Saul's dynasty. And so David, your friend has betrayed you and he's trying to steal your throne just like your son is. Now let's take a second in the story to try to assess how David felt at this moment. There would have been this initial moment of relief. Here is Ziba. Here is my friend. They're here to help me. And then 
out of that moment of relief, he gets this swift kick in the gut that not only had his friend abandoned him, but that his friend had betrayed him and was trying to steal his kingdom. And in this story, Ziba appears to be the hero. King David, I left my master to bring you supplies. I left my master to come take care of you. He betrayed you, but I decided to stay true. And David, working with this, this information, looks at Ziba and goes, Well, if Mephibosheth has betrayed me, then Ziba, you can have all of his land, all of his herds, all of his money. As king, I give it to you now. And Ziba goes from being a servant to being a very, very rich man. It seems fair. It seems like David made a good choice. And with the information that David had in the moment and the information we have in this chapter, it seems like the right choice. But if you continue to read the story and you continue to read over to 2 Samuel chapter 19, you see that something different happens. Spoiler alert, out of this whole story, David wins the battle with Absalom and is king once again. And in chapter 19, we see David coming back in as the triumphant king headed back to Jerusalem to retake his palace and his throne after all the turmoil that he's been through with Absalom. And in this moment, as David is coming back in chapter 19, we see Mephibosheth show up in the story. I won't read it to you, but I'll explain it to you. David sees Mephibosheth coming, and as Mephibosheth walks up to him, David looks down on him and says, Oh yeah? Where were you, friend? Where were you when I needed you? I heard that you were trying to take my throne. But the Bible gives us a different picture of Mephibosheth than Ziba gave us in chapter 16. It says Mephibosheth had not taken care of his hands, meaning that he had probably not trimmed his fingernails or his toenails. He hadn't shaved, he hadn't cut his hair for the entire time that David was running. What we see here is not a picture of a man who was trying to take over the kingdom, but a man who was distraught because, kingdom, because David was losing his kingdom. We find out that Ziba had lied. Mephibosheth says that he ordered Ziba to take all of these supplies, go help David. And Mephibosheth, because he was old and he was having health issues, was going to ride, but Ziba left without him. And then Ziba lied to David in order to gain David's favor, in order to become a rich man. Mephibosheth comes to David completely humble and says, I understand why you did what you did, and I don't even care. He is so loyal to David, he just says, I'm glad that you're back. And we see this odd response from David in this moment. He looks at Mephibosheth, this man who did nothing to him, and he looks at Ziba, this man who lied to him, who betrayed him, and he says, Okay, each of you get half of the kingdom. What? David, have you lost your mind? You're rewarding Ziba's bad behavior by letting him keep half of this, this treasure, this kingdom, this land that he had basically stolen from Mephibosheth? This man who lied to you, who made you feel betrayed by your best friend as you were running away in your weakest moment, and you're going to reward him with giving him half of Mephibosheth's stuff? David, that can't be right. He deserves punishment. He, he's a traitor. Why would you reward him? But we see here that, that David shows mercy to Ziba. And my question of the scripture is why? If you have the power, why don't you punish him? Well, I would argue that this is a you are what you eat situation, or 
maybe for David a you are what you drink situation. See, David understood making mistakes, and, and he understood God's mercy. He had had to drink heavily of God's mercy for the mistakes that he made. He had to understand that God still loved him, and that though he sinned greatly against God, that God was willing to forgive him. And because David had drank of this mercy, he became a merciful creature. See, God's mercy is a key to our faith and a key to our relationship with Him. And when we come close to God, and when we get some of His mercy, mercy should flow out of us. See, we've defined that David was thirsty for God because sin makes us thirsty. Because we are separated from God, therefore we desire what we can't have. It's like being in the desert without water. But God had enough mercy on you and me when, he, when we sin that He gives us mercy. And if we define that, it's a compassion on someone who you have the power to punish. And so when we thirst for God, when we chase God, when we seek God, we have to automatically be seeking His mercy because we deserve to be punished, but we ask for His compassion on us. And because we drink of it, we should become merciful like we see David becoming merciful. And I know what you're thinking because I've thought it too. We think we're merciful people, that we do a really good job of this, that because we're Christians, we're automatically good at mercy and we understand mercy. And we think when somebody hurts me and I don't lash out at them, that, that I've done the right thing as a Christian. And that when somebody betrays me and I just walk away instead of fighting with them, that, that I've somehow been holier than them. We think that when somebody has lied to me and we never confronted them, that, that that is mercy. Or that when somebody has used me and I just kind of give them the cold shoulder, that I've been merciful. But the truth is that just because we didn't react the way that most people would react in those situations does not mean that we've been merciful. And especially not the kind of mercy that God has shown to us. Because we are so guilty of still punishing people in our own way. We punish people by holding grudges. We might never confront somebody to their face when they say something bad about us, but, but we'll tell everybody we know what they did to us. We, we keep people at arm's length, and then our favorite as Americans is these passive-aggressive remarks we throw at people that, that we pretend like we're joking, but we just throw this, this angry, hateful comment at somebody, and then we laugh it off. See, the truth is, is we are not creatures of mercy because we restrain our reactions when we're hurt. We become creatures of mercy when we willingly and voluntarily give something to somebody that they do not deserve. Because that's the kind of mercy that God gave us. And so as we receive God's mercy, as we cry out to Him to forgive us for our sins, that should grow in us. The kind of mercy we re receive should grow in us and it should be the kind of mercy that we give. See, David had drank of this, and we see that popping up in him, that he truly becomes a creature of mercy. He gives to Ziba something that Ziba doesn't deserve, no matter how bad he betrayed David, no matter what kind of a traitor he was, or no matter how much he hurt David. You see, the Bible is very clear that God's mercy and the mercy that grows in us is connected. 
Listen to these verses. Matthew 16, 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. James 2, 13. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Luke 6, 37. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Now, I want to be very clear before we go any farther. You can't earn God's mercy. If you could earn it, it wouldn't be mercy. But there is a biblical connection between the mercy we receive from God and the mercy we give to others. See, God's mercy is a key to our faith, but our mercy is also a key to our faith. Jesus wanted to explain this, and so he gives us the parable of the unforgiving servant that explains exactly what it looks like when we receive God's mercy, but we don't become merciful creatures. And in the story that Jesus tells, there is this servant that comes to his master, and he owes his master a great deal of money, 10,000 talents. And the master looks at him and says, you must pay up. And the servant says, I I don't have that kind of money right now. I can't pay you. I don't have it. And so the master looks at him and says, okay, then you and your family, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, your grandchildren's grandchildren, they will be slaves so that you can pay off your debt. And the servant is overcome with what this means for the rest of his life. And he falls down on his knee and says, please have mercy. Please forgive me of this debt. And the master takes pity on him and has compassion and is merciful. And he says, okay, I will forgive you. It's a huge debt, but I will forgive you. Walk away free. Don't worry about the money that you owe me. Now, I don't think that would work if I went down to the bank and asked them to forgive my mortgage today. So you understand how big of a deal it is to be forgiven a great debt. But then it tells us more about this, that that this servant goes to one of his servants and and he says, where is the money that you owe me? It was only a hundred denarii. Where's the money? And when that servant can't pay, he punishes him. Now I know what you're thinking. That's a horrible thing to be forgiven such a big debt and then not be merciful to somebody who owes you a smaller debt. And to kind of get the concept of how important this is, we've got to convert some money to figure out what the talents and the denarii means. Now, there is no way to convert American dollars to the money of this time. But what we do know about the money at this time is that these represented the payment for a week's worth of work, or a day's worth of work, or a year's worth of work. And so we can take that and do the math in it to figure out roughly how much it is today based on what our average daily wage or average monthly wage might be. And doing the math, 10,000 talents, listen to this, is equivalent to 7 billion, billion with a B, dollars today. And so in this story, and Jesus told it with this huge amount for a reason so that people would understand, in this story, the first servant, the unforgiving servant, he asked for forgiveness of seven billion dollars and he receives it. But then he turns to one of his servants who owes him roughly eleven thousand dollars and he refuses to forgive that debt. And we're shocked at this. Comparatively, $11,000 is nothing compared to being forgiven $7 billion. And we're shocked that this man could receive this kind of mercy and this kind of forgiveness and yet still be this hateful and this unforgiving to somebody else. Jesus told us this story so we would understand how great 
the debt that He has forgiven us is versus how great the things that we refuse to show mercy to people are. All of our sins, all the things that we've done to Him is this huge amount, $7 billion, this unattainable amount of money. And then the Bible points out to us, but we refuse to be merciful to a spouse who makes a mistake or a friend who lies to us, our parents who weren't what they were supposed to be. God forgives us of all of these huge things that we mess up on, but we hold grudges and we punish people who have these relatively small things against us. And it's unnatural when you put it in the terms of money that someone forgiven of $7 billion could not also forgive someone who owes them 11000 And So I believe that someone who receives and doesn't give does so for one of two reasons. Number one is because you don't understand the mercy you've received. Or number two, you don't care about the mercy you've received. Let me say that again because I don't want to be the only person who carries the heaviness of that statement away this morning. If we are not creatures of mercy... It's because we don't understand the amount of mercy that's been given to us or that we don't care. See, David was becoming a creature of mercy. He was becoming a merciful man because he understood the amount of mercy that God had on him. David understood the price of mercy and it was becoming a part of him because as he drank it, he became merciful. His story continues in chapter 16 here as he runs into another man while he's on the run. Verses 5 and 6. And when King David came to Byram, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men on his right hand and on his left. So we see another man coming out here. This man is another of Saul's relatives. And this man actually is bitter at David. See, being part of Saul's relatives would have meant that he would have been part of the royal family had David not become king. And he was bitter and he was angry. And he looked at David and he said, This this is not the king that I've chosen. I don't want this man to be king. And now he sees David on the run. He sees David low. He sees David losing his kingdom. And he comes out as David passes through town. He throws rocks at him and he insults him and he yells at him and he throws dirt on him. One of David's men who is with him actually wants to go kill him. But but this is David's response in verse 11 to Shimei, this man who is cursing him, insulting him, and throwing rocks at him. This is what David says in this moment. And David said to Abishai, uh, Abishai and to all of his servants, Behold, my son which came forth from my bowels seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. David tells his soldiers, as a man says, Let me, let me cut off his head. He won't insult you and he won't throw any more rocks then. David says, No, let him do it. My, my own son hates me. Maybe... Maybe God sent this man so that I would hear what a horrible person that I am. God told him to say this. When's the last time that somebody insulted you or me? And the first thing we think is, I wonder if that's true. I wonder if if God allowed them to say that so that I could look into my heart and see if it's true. 
And we see the humbleness of David in this moment and the way that he responds. That if my own son hates me, this man probably has a right to as well. I I raised my son and he hates me and I took away this man's life by becoming king. And David rides away. But we see Shimei come out in chapter 19 again as well. And he comes and he falls at the feet of David as David comes in as king. Let's read that. This is 2 Samuel 19, verses 18 through 23. This is the story of when they meet again. And there went over a ferry to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was come over Jordan and said unto the king, Let not my lord impute iniquity upon me, neither do thou remember which thy servant did perversely the day that the lord the king went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, answered and said, Shall not Shema be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? That's the same guard trying to kill Shema again. Therefore the king, uh, and David said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruah, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I this day that I am this day king over Israel. Therefore the king said unto Shimei, Thou shalt not die, and the king swear upon it. We see two sides of this character, character Shimei in the Bible. We see the side of when David was down, when there was doubt of who the king was, that he was willing to throw insults and throw rocks and throw dirt at him and kick him while he was down. And then we see the side of Shimei when David comes back in the triumphant king. And there are two different sides. Shimei is the first person to meet him and bow down and beg for mercy. David, I, I know I insulted you. I know I kicked you while I was down. I know what I did against you. And I know there's no excuse. Please, please, king, have, have mercy on me. Please, king, don't punish me for what I did. Don't put me to death for insulting you. And David, once again, because he understands the price and the cost and the importance of mercy, because he looks at what God forgave him of and he realizes, I can forgive this man for the insults that he said. He says, I forgive you. I will show mercy on you. Because he understood what God gave him. And I wonder for us, as we encounter the people who throw rocks at us, as we encounter the people who insult us, who take advantage of us, those who betray us, I wonder if we understand mercy like David did. If we focus on the mercy that we've received like David did. Or if we're like the unforgiving servant in the parable that Jesus told, that we receive mercy but never get it. You see, every last one of us, we're like Shema. We've thrown rocks at a rightful king when there was question of who would rule. And we insulted him and we cursed him because we didn't want him to be the king. Because him being king meant that we would lose power. So every last one of us sinned and every last one of us rejected the true king. But he's a merciful king. He he wants to forgive us. He loves us. And he came in human form and died on a cross for us to have the opportunity to obtain his mercy. 
And he calls every last one of us to fall down on our knees, beg for his forgiveness, and repent of the way that we treated him. And let me be clear that, that one day, there's not going to be a question who the king is. There won't be any question of who the ruler is, and there won't be any question of who is in power. One day, like David rides back into Jerusalem, one day Jesus is going to ride back into this world, the triumphant king. And we have the ability to obtain his mercy now. Every last one of us needs it. And if you're like me, you've accepted his mercy. And then we have the question to ask of ourselves. Is his mercy flowing through us? Are we showing his mercy to those that have betrayed us like he showed mercy to us? Can we love like he loves? Can we forgive like he forgives? Remember, we are what we drink. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I, I thank you for the mercy that, that you've shown on me. And God, that you loved me and this world enough to, to die for us. God, I thank you that I have access to your mercy, God. And I just pray for myself and, and for those watching this, God, that, that you make us merciful creatures, that you show your mercy and your forgiveness through us to those around us. Lord, give us the ability to, to drink of your mercy and to become more like you. God, I do love you with all of my heart, and I pray that you will use us in a mighty way for your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. I, I look forward to seeing you next week. It's going to be 60 degrees because Arkansas. And so we're going to have the opportunity to meet here at Ramsey Heights next week. I can't wait to see you. Have a great week.